Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I am chatting with Karen Lepage, who feels like an old friend of mine. We've actually never met in person, um, but we're sort of internet friends, Instagram friends, um, from, for a long time now, and I'm really excited to finally have her on the show. Karen's story is really fun and inspiring. She works as a technical designer, pattern maker, pattern drafter, grader, um, all sorts of stuff in the technical and fit world. And she kind of fell into it pretty organically, does not have a fashion school background, and kickstarted what has turned into a very good professional career as a freelancer in this space. And Beyond, you know, the the strategy that we always talk about on the podcast in terms of how did you build your freelance career, which Karen does share some stories and sort of perspectives on how she has approached her career, um, she has such a warm heart in just her mindset of how she approaches projects and people and her her uh, passions and all of the work that she does. Um, some really interesting conversations sort of evolved out of some things that she said in terms of approaching your work with generosity and how you really make people feel with the designs that you create for them or the clothes that they're going to wear or even the relationships that you have with your clients and your customers as a freelancer and how you can make yourself more part of their team because I know that something I've heard from a lot of freelancers in the SFD community is that it can feel a little bit isolating or a little bit challenging working from home by your air quote by yourself as a freelancer. Um, you know, what if you don't know something, or how do you? You're used to working maybe in a in a more corporate or an employee type of setting where you had a team to bounce ideas off off of people. And Karen talks a little bit about how she still does that with her freelance clients and how she still is actually part of the team um, as a freelancer. And so I think if you're looking into being a freelancer or you just want to be inspired by someone who is doing it and who is really thriving and approaching things in such a beautiful way, I know you're going to love and get a lot of value out of the conversation with Karen today. So before we jump into the interview with Karen, um, I always want to say to you guys, thank you so much for listening to the SFD podcast. We would not be here without your support and listenership today. Um, if you have left a five-star rating or review on iTunes, that is amazing. We really appreciate it. If you haven't, it is really, really valuable to the show and to help others discover the show and for us to grow. If you leave a write-up and review on Apple Podcasts, you can do that by scrolling down to Apple Podcasts, wherever, not wherever you're listening, I guess just on Apple Podcasts, um, but scrolling down and leaving a rating or review. So, so valuable for the show. Um, Beyond that, I want to remind you guys that SFD is way more than a podcast. We have tons of tutorials, templates, uh, downloads, ebooks, things on portfolios and freelancing and launching your own clothing line and so much more available for free on the site. Head on over to SoHeidi.com slash email. It's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash email to sign up for those free resources. I will deliver them all right to your inbox. And beyond that, I also hang out on Instagram and I would love to get to know you there at SoHeidi is the handle. We will link to all of that in the show notes, which you can access by scrolling down wherever you're listening. And now let's jump into the interview with Karen. Karen, welcome to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Can you please introduce yourself and let everyone know who you are and what you do in the fashion industry? Hi, Heidi. I'm so happy to be here. Um, my name is Karen Lepage, and I am a pattern maker, a grader, a sewing teacher, and um, a lifelong student of making things. I love this. So quick backstory, listeners. Um, Karen and I, we've known each other for, 
I mean, not like we actually don't know each other in real life, like <laughs> internet known each other for maybe like four and a half, four or five years, maybe even. At least. Yeah. yeah. And we were just talking before we hit record about how way back when I was first starting the podcast, I wanted to bring you on, but you were in the middle of moving. And so here we are finally three and a half years later, four years later, and you're on the show. So yay, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, tell tell me about, because I actually don't even know, like, what's your backstory? How'd you get into all this pattern making, grading, fashion, sewing stuff? Well, I've been sewing since I was five years old. Uh, my mom bought me a sewing machine so I wouldn't break hers. Um, <laughs> and then I, I just took off with it. Um, I think I made one bag at five years old and then I started making clothes for my stuffed animals. Yeah. And in middle school, I started making clothes for myself. This was the 80s, so I started with costumes. There wasn't a lot available in stores. Um, I've always been on the larger side of straight sizes, so 12 or 14, um, and always had large hips. So often, even if something was available in my size, it wouldn't fit. Um, So I just started making things from patterns so that I could wear what I wanted to wear. I loved fashion magazines as a kid. I think I subscribed to um, W Magazine as like an inaugural <laughs> subscriber. Yeah. I subscribed to Women's Wear Daily in high school. Um, I was obsessed with fashion, though I hated fashion, the capital F kind of fashion. Uh, I love personal style. And yeah. I wanted to go to design school um, and... I didn't see any place that was going to teach me anything I didn't a already know or could figure out myself um, back in 1990, and b um, any place that had anything available for had anybody working there or visible for people like me. Um, what do you mean by that? Sorry, I'm I'm unsure. People like me who were not artists really I'm creative but I wouldn't call myself a fine artist I'm more technical I didn't know that you could get a job as a pattern maker I thought my career was designer and I was never very stylish though I've always had a very distinctive personal style yeah um but um I never felt fashiony fashionable though I love to look at things but like you can't wear a velvet jeweled gown to school in 1988 or now so you know the things that I loved to look at were not everyday wear kind of things um and so I didn't really see a place for me like I said I didn't know that you could that there was a technical side okay Um, you just saw fashion as like the design component yeah okay I think a lot of us do yeah until Project Runway. I don't think a lot of people knew how difficult it is to actually make something look like what you imagine if you're the person who also has to make it. And so I knew I was able to do that. So I made clothes for myself. I made clothes for other people in college um, to help earn some money. (laughs) And yeah, uh, I've always still had the desire to go to design school to learn what they know now, or maybe to understand what might be available now. But the more I read, the more I see um, nobody is taught or very few people are taught plus size grading or Mm -hmm. like how to design for bodies that aren't fashion models. Um, So I think I'm better off... um, (laughs) continuing to learn on my own though that elusive degree is always just teasing me Want so what some did... kind of certification oh <laughs> reason. even it. though I've been doing this professionally for 12 years there's still always that that's so um, interesting to me yeah I'm competent I I share my knowledge with people I love to help to see other people succeed and yet for some reason there's still that I don't know. Imposter syndrome is too strong a word, but there's still that like wanting to have a certificate. (laughs) Okay. Well, so first of all, you did say when you were in college, what did you wind up going to college for then? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I, I went to college for economics and German language. Um, I wound up studying German, specializing in German exile literature. Um, and then I quit school. Okay. Um, yeah, I never finished. Okay. 
That's fine. So, hey. Uh, thanks for saying so. I mean, school. It is, it is fine. I always joke it is with my just a certificate. that I'm going to go back to school when she does. But you know what's interesting? So, like, you and I follow each other on Instagram, and, and we chat there occasionally. And um, you are very – it's so interesting to hear you say – you know, not quite imposter syndrome, but some sort of like lacking you feel from not having the certificate. But I see you, you're very proactive with your personal development. Like I know, like you've taken some of my online courses. I see you post stuff Mm -hmm. from other people's courses. You're very into personal development, not just in the fashion and the the pattern drafting in your career space, but I know for like your own personal development, um, health, meditation, food type of stuff. I see you do along those lines. So it's so interesting to me that that you really, you're constantly improving yourself and investing in yourself, which I think is so valuable, yet you still feel this like lack that you don't have the, I'm doing air quotes, like fashion degree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, isn't that? That's funny. I've just got to continue to excavate that strange, I don't even know if it's a desire or a pressure, Yeah. but um, I know consciously I don't need that. Um, Yeah. And in fact, I would rather teach than to fill in these gaps of things that I've learned that are not taught, um, especially when it comes to inclusive sizing and inclusive language um, for clothes making. Um, Yeah. yeah. I guess you don't have to (laughs) to go to college or finish college to be a quiet revolutionary in a small industry. You don't. So, Which is funny that I'd call it a small industry because my world is small because I have a, I've been working for the same clients for many years. So uh, the fashion industry I know is huge. It <laughs> so, is, but it isn't though. Yeah. I mean, it's surprising to me always how many guests I have on who are like, oh yeah, and I knew that person. And I'm like, oh yeah, I interviewed them. Like it is kind of a tight knit circle in a weird way, even though it is pretty big. It's small. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So, okay, so you quit school studying economics and German language, and um, why did you quit? It was at the beginning of pursuing your pattern drafting, and, and I'm, like, now skeptical to say fashion because you're, like, it's not. Right. What do you call yeah, it for yourself? I a member. <laughs> Technical industry. designer? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Okay. Um, I kind of because I bring so many different aspects together as a consultant for the brands I work with, I, um, yeah, a technical designer, but also a fit consultant. Also, um, my passion is efficiency and effectiveness and trying to make things easy for people who are going to sew our garments. I, I mostly work with home sewing pattern designers. Ah, okay. So the point there is to make making clothes enjoyable and self-affirming. So while it seems like I've studied all of these different things, um, they all come together in this, uh, this desire to be helpful for people to learn to take care of themselves and love themselves and be who they are. Yeah. Um, clothes are so much more than decoration. Or their protection. Your favorite outfit can feel like a superhero cape or a hug. Yeah. And I want to make sure that that is conveyed somehow through the work I do, whether it's the effect I have on my clients or my students or personal relationships or even when I look in the mirror. I so, love that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's all important and connected. So I did start sewing um, a lot when I... Um, When I quit school, um, I quit school and ended up continuing to pay for my boyfriend at the time to finish his degree. It was going to be my turn after. There it was. (laughs) (laughs) We got married and had a baby right away. Yeah. And this baby had um, sensory processing disorder, and we found out later um, Asperger's syndrome, so on the autism spectrum. Okay. Um, And so store-bought clothes at the time in the mid to late 90s were not soft enough for them. Yeah. They weren't, um, they were so distracting. This is a child who had to have a weighted pad on their lap to focus in class because otherwise um, there, there was a lot of distraction. Okay. So 
having comfortable clothes was paramount. So I would line jeans that I bought at the store with knit. I would stitch down seam allowances. I would make things inside out um, so that there was nothing irritating on the skin. Yeah, yeah. And um, I included a lot of those uh, construction techniques in the book I wrote in 2010 with uh, a co-author, um, it's called Sewing for Boys. In oh, hindsight, I didn't know you had sewing. a book. Yeah, I have three books. Oh my gosh! Um, what? Yeah. Where have I been under a rock? It's okay. It's okay. Um, but uh, anyway, I would I would just call it Sewing for Children now because all the styles are you know they could fit on everybody. Right. So it doesn't need to just be for boys. But there was nothing um, that was not ruffly and frilly that was adorable. For, that wasn't just plain for um, boys at the time, whether it was in the store or um, in sewing patterns. I mean, it's still like 10 to one girl things or, or very feminine looking things there. Um, I was hoping it would start a trend. I wasn't, I was hoping it wasn't going to be the only book of gender neutral or boy clothes, yeah. but I haven't seen many um, since then. I hopefully your listeners know of more and they'd be, they'll be sharing with you what they've learned so that you can start making things uh, or continue making things for your little guy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, that was really, I really started sewing again while I was working full time at a <laughs> car company. Um, I'd come home and, and sew things for my kid. So they Wait, what were you doing at a car? So you, okay, so hold on. So you quit school, got married, <laughs> had a baby, got a job at a car company. What were you doing there? I was in strategic planning. I okay. was actually a strategy analyst at the world headquarters of Ford Motor Company. Yeah, um, I worked there for most of my first child's childhood. I got divorced quickly after, Okay, as you can imagine, like never getting my turn to go to college after I paid for my oh. spouse to go to school yeah, yeah, yeah. was one minor signal, red flag, <laughs> that I didn't see. Yeah. But I always... I always value that relationship because I had my firstborn child who yeah. is the light in my life to this day. So oh, amazing. Um, yeah, I was a single mom working and making things at home so that my kid could function, whether it was in preschool or daycare or, yeah. you know, elementary school. And then on to even high school, I was making clothes for them. Wow. Yeah. And to this day. You <laughs> still do. It's really great. That's so cool. So when did you like start getting into the technical and fit consultant design world professionally? Well, a lot of, when I was sewing for my first child, people would ask me to make things for their kids and, um, I didn't have time because I had a full-time job and was trying to also be a, a present parent. Yeah. But then, um, it was when I had my second child after I became, after I got remarried, my second child is now 14. And, um, when she was little was when I was developing the book. And so I tested everything out on her. Um, that's also why I think, why did I call it for sewing for boys? It could be sewing for Ella cause she wore everything in that book too. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I just kept getting, Flickr was an active community then, and I just kept getting requests to make things and custom make things for kids with special needs or for um, parents who wanted something really distinctive for their kid. And so I saw there was a market for that, but I also knew I don't like tags in my clothes. I don't like things without pockets. I don't like um, not being able to find something in the store that fits. So I started really, um, digging deep into every textbook I could find every website I could find. I mean, as soon as I discovered fashion incubator, you've interviewed Kathleen Fasanella. Yeah. It's amazing. She is amazing. Um, <laughs> I read every single one of her posts and learned, bought the resources that she recommended and learned as much as I could so that I, because I was staying home with my daughter and I was consulting, I, um, Ford did a big downsizing and I was happy to take a buyout. I, uh, because I had just had a baby, I was going to leave anyway. Um, I, I used that time while she was sleeping or while she was with one of my parents, um, to study 
and really dove deep into the science of fit and learning. Well, I knew how to make patterns because I had been cobbling them together um, since high school for myself, yeah. but to learn how to make them for other people um, and to practice that for people in my lives, for helping them copy things that they already had that they liked that weren't available anymore. And it just went on from there. I just had an insatiable hunger for knowledge on how to make things uh, with meaning and with intention. Yeah. So Almost as a rejection of the fashion industry <laughs> that I felt rejected me. I think a lot of people feel that way, though. Honestly. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I'm more and more vocal about it now, yes. too, so we can find each other. Yeah, for sure. So, um, and this is just a random side note, were you drafting and doing all this stuff on paper or digitally? Uh, on paper, and um, I also started using Illustrator and Photoshop back in, oh, I don't know, I had Adobe CS1. Okay, so, like way back. Yeah, Photoshop 7. Yeah. So I was um, I was always trying to, I did my illustrations for the patterns I was making. Anything I'd share with someone else, I'd learn how to illustrate it. And boy, taking your class cut a lot of time out of that <laughs> manual process, <laughs> trying to figure things out in Illustrator yeah. um, and Photoshop. So I, le- I figured, oh, wait, you can actually place something precisely in here. Why don't I draw a line that's precise instead of <laughs> the width of a pencil or using a ruler and hoping I don't slip or, you know, trying to find time without a dog or a kid hanging off my leg. Um, so it was really for convenience sake also traveling with my husband. I couldn't take pattern making paper yeah. with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I... Uh, I traced some things that I wanted to copy of my own and on paper and took them to Kinko's and had them scanned <laughs> and started playing around um, in Illustrator and then comparing my body measurements to the ease and like going back and looking at every pattern maker I could find whose fit I liked and knowing what things I did to tweak that and figuring out my own body. And when I have private students, I teach them the same thing, your tape measure, is your friend. It's data. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. um, always embracing a, a, a data driven kind of approach to my own clothes. Um, it was pretty easy to translate that electronically. Okay. And That's then cool. I, I learned about CAD software for pattern design and I made a big decision after a lot of research to invest in CAD, um, my family helped me, and that really cut down on uh, development time as well. So much easier to grade <laughs> in CAD than in Illustrator. And I realized you need to do this for a living if you're going to be paying this much money for software. Yeah. <laughs> so, what software did you um, get? Can I ask? Yeah, I, I bought Optitex. Optitex, seven okay. Seven years ago. Okay. Yeah. It, I don't know if I would make a different decision now, but... Um, that was the most affordable and the one that exported to Illustrator because all my clients use Illustrator um, okay. when they're making home sewing patterns. Okay. So since it exports, then you can style it and make it beautiful in Illustrator and then place it in InDesign. To then turn into a pattern that you might sell on yeah. Etsy or something. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, cool. So like where – so you commented if I'm going to do this for a living – or no, wait, you invested in, it was almost backwards. Like I invested yeah, in the software. Backwards. Now I must do this as a living. <laughs> so like, I find a way to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so w- before that, it sounds like you were, um, what were you doing? Just like some casual projects and stuff for friends yeah. and family and people you knew. Yes. And I did, um, I was a partner in a sewing pattern company for kids. And oh, that's okay. when the book deal came about. And so I was kind of doing it professionally, but I meant like I had to, I wanted to make a difference for women. And, um, I knew I could always draft clothes for kids. Yeah. The usually basic shapes. So that wasn't, I wasn't going to lose that touch, (laughs) (laughs) but because I had done the book, people were asking me to help them with their patterns because, you know, just like there are people who are accountants and love accounting and not all of us do, (laughs) I love pattern making and I know not everybody does. And so the fact that I could use my natural, um, 
affinity for technology and for um, sustainability and for um, accessibility and turn that into some way to make other people's dreams come true. Their uh-huh. literal the dream garments or dream ideas. I could make them materialize in the in this world we live in with that we can touch. Um, yeah, it's like magic almost, even though it's the very opposite of magic if you think about it. So, um, once I started uh, gaining a few clients who saw me take their idea and turn it into something they could use and sell and build a business on, I knew I had found my my niche for sure. Being the support sewing fairy godmother really for, um, for other businesses because I'm not a designer. I'm just, I, I'm a better editor and I love to solve problems. And so that, that's really where my strengths lie. And I just, I can't believe every day. I am so grateful that I get to make a living solving problems. That's so cool. So, um, it's, how did you like really kickstart then going from, okay, I was doing a couple projects and you were like, I, I had, I think I'd found my calling and this felt really good to then, you know, building up a client base. Cause I think a lot of people out there listening are probably thinking like, Hmm, I do something casually. Maybe I just do it for myself right now, but I've had friends or family like ask me to do it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, like how can you just talk us through a little bit strategically and maybe it wasn't so strategic because sometimes I do think these things tend to just happen word of mouth and organically depending on your personality um and like how much you might like talk about it but do you kind of remember back like what were some of the things that you did or how did your business really start to grow on that level well I think um, I fall into the latter category I wasn't very strategic about it um, I have one client who was um, who is still a client of mine almost a decade later or a decade later um, for whom I was doing the you know behind the scenes work and I still work with her and um, I'm kind of full service I don't just uh, people don't send me a file and I send back the grading file um, I mean I can do that and it's definitely more profitable for me if I do that, but I'm, um, for some clients, I'm a part of their team. So I didn't need to gain a a large client base Mm. because it's mm, more relational than transactional. Ah, okay. I discovered this was the case for my clients as much as it was for me when I asked for, um, some of my favorite clients to write a little something about what it was like to work for me or with me. I mean, um, for my website that I finally launched and <laughs> every paragraph that came back had me in tears of gratitude for the relationships I've been able to build over the years. Um, so yeah, I think it was really, I, I did attend some trade shows and I walked around and met people um, it was actually my first client who introduced me to a lot of people, um, as long as I, you know, prioritized her things, which <laughs> I still do. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that's, uh, it was really through relationships and really word of mouth, um, that I, I built my business and, um, I've just been really fortunate that, I'll say something out loud and someone will hear something and recommend me to someone else and projects come into my life that are really meaningful. Um, so I'm trying to only take on projects that fit my, um, my values, which is pretty easy because there are a lot of people who share the same values of sustainability and inclusivity. Um, and maybe they just don't know how to get there. And so, that's, uh, I'm just really, I'm really lucky. That's amazing. I'm sorry. I don't have a better strategy to no. share. Um, I guess be generous, be generous is the strategy I have to share. Yeah. Over deliver. Mm, Over deliver, not at the expense of your own <laughs> sanity or well, schedule, yes, that's but a be good... generous with your knowledge Yeah. and, um, you know, communicate Yeah. <laughs> when you're going to be late. People are human. Yeah. Like say. Here's yeah. what's happening. Um, 
people really appreciate that in both directions, clients and freelancers appreciate communication. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. I've also been getting better at that over the years. Um, yeah, everything's a learning process. It's a constant learning process. The older I get, I the more I'm like... Yep, you're everything, every little thing every day is a learning curve. Right. No matter how long you've done it. Oh, and even in teaching classes, I um, am always, I always tell my students, um, there are a hundred right ways to do this thing I'm going to show you. This is just one of the ways I know. And then I'll also maybe show them another way that I find equally effective, but I just prefer the other one. And then because of that invitation, students will jump in and help each other. Um, and there's an instant community formed, um, because everyone is free to express either their opinion on how something could be done differently or their experience on how they've been able to successfully make something. Cause in the end, <laughs> a successful project is one where you learn something and you have something at the end. Yeah. Um, even if it's not something you want to wear, you can always give it to someone else and work on the next thing. Yeah, um, or repurpose it into the next thing. Exactly. And yeah. I carry that philosophy in um, all of my work. Yeah. There's something to be learned. I don't walk in an expert despite my lifetime of studying this because there's always something new to learn. There I really definitely is. say I've achieved some mastery in areas. Yeah. But um, that just gives me flexibility. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't make me um, less able to adapt. It makes me more able to adapt. Yeah, that's a great perspective. We'll get back to this episode in 20 seconds, but real quick, did you know that the SFD podcast is sponsored by you? We don't interrupt your listening experience with ads and instead rely on your support. There are three ways you can do that. One, tell a friend about the podcast. Two, sign up for the email list at soheidi.com slash email. That's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I dot com slash email. Three, write a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for supporting the SFD podcast. Now back to the episode. Um, you mentioned something earlier that I was curious about. You you referenced uh, you know some of the clients that you, you, you tend to be particular about your clients and you want to work with people who have similar values to you, um, specifically in relation to inclusivity and sustainability. So um, we've touched on the inclusivity a little bit earlier with some of the sizing. What specifically in um, pattern drafting and from a technical design perspective can you touch on as it relates to sustainability? Like, tell me, what does that mean in, in a role like yours? In a role like mine, it's advocating for reducing waste, um, being more versus less specific on recommendations for sustainable materials, um, sewing up examples of things so that people can see that um, you can make something out of what you already have without having to run out and buy something, um, sharing information about sources that I have, um, and then asking also for more sources. I love how you crowdsource source, sourcing on your um, Instagram. Oh, yeah. I do the same thing personally. Like, hey, yeah. I want to use this, but I don't want to use a company that refuses to use organic fabric or yeah. who only produces things overseas um, when there might be opportunities here. So I try to be as local as possible um, and to share as much information as possible to maybe just be an example. So again, it's not demanding that my clients choose the same thing I would choose. I'm not going to refuse to work for somebody who has uh, you know, a fair trade relationship with someone overseas. It's not... Um, it's not if you're not working in Seattle or Detroit, I'm not going to work with you. But at the same time, there may be ways we can help the um, our own neighborhoods at the same time. Yeah. Helping others. There's yeah. always an opportunity to do something generative versus extractive. And so I guess mostly just being an influence um, by pre- presenting different options. That's how I I try to focus on sustainability. Also, um, I helped start a factory here in Seattle, a uniform factory. Wait, I think Uh, I remember you seeing you post about this. I was like, I think I remember you seeing, seeing, I can't talk, seeing you post about this just recently, like in the middle of COVID. 
Yeah. 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 Tell us a little um, bit about that. I uh, met some wonderful people when I started doing some volunteering for the Refugee Artisan Initiative here in Seattle, and they use all donated goods, and they fundraise so they can pay their artisans who are refugees or immigrants um, to the Seattle area, most of the time receiving their first paycheck from this, um, using skills they already have that they brought from Morocco or Vietnam or Ethiopia wherever they have come from, um, to make something with their hands to sell and, um, get paid a living wage. Uh, so seeing that they were using donated fabrics, I started soliciting donations from places that I knew, um, made more sustainable fabrics. And I saw that they also, because they had built relationships, they were able to get, um, donations from very large groups, um, and so everything they do is upcycled from something or another or donated from someone's own personal stash. And I met someone there who wanted to start a uniform factory. And so I did the pattern making for her, but I had also attended Kathleen's um, lean manufacturing her boot camp. Boot camp. Yeah. yeah. She talked about and that on the podcast. It's a really interesting program. It is. I had wanted to do it since the beginning of it, but I didn't really have an excuse um, <laughs> just for my own knowledge. <laughs> I didn't feel like I thought, I guess, because she's so professional um, that I couldn't just go as a, a hobbyist or a freelancer. I needed a job. And so since I was going to help start this factory and the work I was doing with the Refugee Artisan Initiative was trying to help them get the most out of their time, like make very um, precise patterns so that it and teach precise cutting so that um, there was a lot of less waste. Um, so I was able to uh, convince myself to <laughs> go there. Um, and I took everything I learned from there and was immediately able to put it into practice with the um, with the uniform factory that is loosely um, associated. Well, they're, they're kind of partnered, but they're associated with the Refugee Artisan Initiative. And okay. so um, helping start that and see um, the way they wanted to build this uh, company as a circular economy where they would take buyback uniforms and teach mending and make every size um, available for kids and it was <laughs> it was all I could ever have hoped for um, to be able to do something like that during a pandemic because my other business, my other clients had slowed down because they're at home with kids and yeah. they had to manage kids who would otherwise be in school yeah. or summer camp. Um, my schedule opened up and I had the opportunity to, to help launch this and I helped develop some training for them and put together tech packs. Thanks to you. And, um, <laughs> helped write the processes for cutting and for marker making and just efficiency in general without, um, while still, and of course, prioritizing the needs of the people who were sewing. So yeah, it's the, it's probably one of the best work things I've ever done in my life. Yeah. And, that sounds um, amazing. Just so honored to have been a part of that. And it taught me that I know more than I think I do. So, ah. you know, all, every time you do something, it can reinforce, um, it can reinforce your knowledge or your capacity or your ability. And when we do things, we don't necessarily know how to do ahead of time, even though I had ideas and I had been reading books my whole life to put it into practice is really how, um, <laughs> it's really how we learn that we know more than we think we do. Yeah. And so that was like a really big undertaking that arguably felt uh, out of your comfort zone and like maybe just a little <laughs> or a lot of it out of your comfort zone. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I told them, like, I have never done this before. And they're but like, like how many, have we. <laughs> how many people have? Like, are they going to – they're not going to find someone I don't think that has. Right. Like, at some point, you right. know, it's like this is the closest match you're going to get. You're not going to find the person that's really gone through this before. And, but like you said, right. you were able to piece together your skills and you actually did know way more than you thought. And it came together. Mm-hmm. And I'm not afraid to not know something. So yeah. Oh my God. That, Let's talk about that for a minute. <laughs> with age. I'm, I will never say I know how to do something when I don't. 
Yeah. And usually my clients, friends, students, coworkers, <laughs> teachers will say, you probably do know, let's figure it out. So, um, I just try things. I mean, I feel like I've spent my whole life bumping around, making mistakes and learning from them. And I'm going to accept that that's just how I learn. Yeah. So I learn in an iterative way. I produce things in an iterative way. If there's a mistake, then it's uh, someone else was going to make the mistake too. So better I do it than a thousand garments are made with that same mistake. Um, you know, better to discover it in testing. And so, um, that was a big lesson for me too, seeing that in this factory setting where actually making mistakes and catching them was, um, a way to tailor the training program so that we could anticipate mistakes that might be made or communications that needed to be clearer. So, yeah, I'm grateful for learning this way. And I would encourage more people to try things and make mistakes um, and apologize when the mistakes hurt somebody. Yeah. But still make mistakes. It's so important. And I think that that's actually a theme that's come up on the podcast. Um, no offense to the younger people out there, but like, <laughs> this is something I, I didn't learn until I was a little bit older. I'm almost, uh, I'm not going to say it that way. I'm, I'm 38. I almost said I'm almost four. No, um, 38 at the time of recording. Um, I'll be 39 when this comes out, but, um, <laughs> I, and I think you made the comment too, like as you've gotten older, um, and other people have said the same exact thing on the podcast before of like, I, it took me a while, but I got to the point where like, I was happy to say, I didn't know how to do something like I'll figure it out and I'll learn and I'm excited to learn. And I think I can navigate learning, um, right. maybe on my own or with a little bit of guidance, but like, I think in fashion, there can be this pressure, especially when we're younger or fashion or technical designer pattern making or whatever. Well, especially um, technical. Yeah. You know, it's all about perfection and oh, tolerances. And, right. And the numbers are and exact camp, and precise. And we had to sew to a 64th of an inch tolerance. No, like, that's like impossible. Well, it's like a thread width, right? Yeah. Um, but she, um, Kathleen encouraged us to try. Wow. I never would have even tried. A 64th of an inch tolerance. That's, I've never, I mean, an eighth is tight. training and practice. um, I mean, there was a larger tolerance for, um, you know, accepting the garments. Uh, But yeah, the, um, (laughs) just trying to be perfect. And how about 80% of perfect is still pretty great. It sure is. I'm trying to teach my children that. Yeah. It's such an important... I don't want to pass this on, this perfectionism or that no. only... And w- how do we know it's perfect? We're going to learn something next week. Yeah. It's so true. And I think there's just so much pressure um, I, in various industries, but I think ours, there's quite a bit. And when you're younger, you can... I should just say when you're younger. I mean, age might just be a, a component of it sometimes, but it can just be a lot of pressure to put on yourself and if you're listening out there and you're feeling like you have to be perfect to know everything, like take a little, take, take the pedal off the brake, take your foot off the gas pedal a little bit on that. Like it's okay. We're never going to know everything. That's why we work in teams. That's why we work together with other people. Um, So talk a little bit about that. You have to know everything. (laughs) Yeah. I think actually that's really interesting because you mentioned earlier your client, relationships are more relational versus transactional and you feel like you're part of their team and they send you these, you know, you ask for feedback and they send you these letters that bring tears to your eyes. And I think that, um, talking to that is really important because I know as a freelancer, it's very easy to feel like, well, then I'm just this one person and I'm working in a vacuum and what if I don't know something? And, Talk a little bit about how you've overcome that and and how you do work with your clients more as a team member. Well, I come to the table with collaboration as the main goal. So I say that right up front. And I work with people who want to collaborate, who want to learn from each other. So that has been the case in all of my working relationships. Um, even when I was, even when I was at Ford as a young, thirties single mom with no degree, um, working in 
the world headquarters of this amazing auto company, um, we had these stated values uh, all over the, the building. And my, <laughs> my mantra was basically, what are they going to do, fire me? Um, I'm acting according to these values. And so ah. it gave me courage to speak up. And it's the same with collaborating. Um, I'm certainly not going to insult somebody, but I, well, I might, but I'm not going to do <laughs> it on purpose. Um, but I'm going to say something when I see something. And if I'm wrong, then I want to hear back about it. I just don't want to never be hired again. Right. Um, I want to I really want my work to be relationship-based and collaborative because collaboration is where the magic happens. That's why diversity is so important. Diversity of background, diversity of culture, um, because we don't know what we don't know and we can only learn those things from each other. And I, I can't imagine another way to work other than, um, being upfront about, again, back to like not being afraid to not know something, but also to be willing to take feedback and to incorporate that. And it's also okay to hear the feedback, think about it, maybe not apply it this time, um, but try it in different ways um, in the meantime between projects and see if maybe, I'm always looking to be better, more efficient, more um, impactful. And even if you're a freelancer, what you're doing can't be done by a machine yet. I mean, we still need humans despite um, expensive CAD and robots building things. And um, there are still hands that make our clothes. And there is an opportunity to make a difference in how that's done in a freelance position. Being a small part of a bigger operation still means you're part of something. Yeah. And I think, too, like something that I learned, it took me a while as a freelancer to learn, was your client, just because you are that one person that's maybe working, air quotes, like physically outside the team, you know, you're offsite, you're working at your home office or whatever, um, your client doesn't expect you to know it all and have all the answers. They really don't. No. Right. And you don't learn that until you admit that you don't have all the answers and they tell you, well, of course you don't have all the answers. But it's scary. <laughs> but until think... you tell me you don't know, I'm going to keep giving you all the work. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you've proven yourself to be trustworthy and to care about what you're doing. Yeah. Of course so, you're going to get more work. Yeah. Okay. I have to know, because you said earlier, and I, I just want to know a little more detail about it. Um, you said when you were at Ford, you were like, well, what are you going to do? Fire me? Go ahead. Because I'm operating per these mantras that you have all over the office building. I'm like picturing, you know, those posters with like the cat dangling down off the tree. It's like, says something like you got hang in there. But like, I'm sure they weren't quite that cheesy or maybe some of them were, no, but they like, weren't. they were actually were values they? that I worked to, uh, with departments to develop because oh. my job there was in strategy and planning. And okay. so we actually, we're in a big culture shift at the time. It was before, um, it was from around 2002. Okay. Um, and I worked there for six, seven years, um, 2001, 2002, and they were trying to shift the culture. And so I was going to act according to the new culture, even though there were still people who, you know, I was a woman with no degree mm. who, I had sold cars. I mean, I have had every job, so. You have? You've been a car saleswoman? I sold cars in California when I was 20 years old and 21 years old. So I had already been on the retail side of the car business. I grew up in Dearborn and Detroit, so I was a car Uh, girl anyway. I was a fifth generation employee, Uh, but nobody in my family was high enough up in the management structure to actually hire their own kids. So everybody had to get their own job there. Um, And I wanted this company to be held to a higher standard, which they were saying that they wanted to be too. And they do hold themselves to a higher standard so that I could feel good about working there at least. Um, But yeah, I wasn't going to function. I wasn't going to fall prey to their patriarchal system, even then, even as a (laughs) 30 years old. But like, what Um, were some of those values that were like hung up around the office? Oh, don't speak up in a meeting if a vice president is there. 
Well, that's not what the poster says that we all worked on together. Okay. Everybody has a valuable contribution to make. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's the, the that's the opposite of the value is don't speak up. I was like, wait, shouldn't yeah. you speak up? Okay. <laughs> no, no, I definitely, I did speak up. And, oh, okay. Um, so do speak up. Yeah. Yeah. And Have my an job opinion. there was to try to convey these complex financial um, <laughs> background dealings to um so that the field and employees and analysts could understand. So I knew nothing about finance when I moved, when I took that job as a temp, I was hired within six weeks full time. And then my whole job was learning and communicating these things in a way that other people could understand. Uh, so I have been able to apply that to sewing. Yeah. Um, because also in this fashion industry, there's the old school way of doing things. And then there's the, try it and see way of doing things. That's really how we're the way we're heading and how we learn, especially now. So, um, I love seeing the parallels in this. I didn't until just now, but, um, (laughs) the fact that I dove in, learned everything I could and then processed it so that people could understand who hadn't already done that work is the same thing I've done with sewing my whole life. That's so cool. But I would never say it's easy to someone um, without <laughs> being able to tell them how. <laughs> yeah. It's easy if you practice and you want to learn. Some people can't want to make their own clothes, and that is totally fine. Yeah. We don't have to. Yeah. Um, but for people who do want to know, um, I like to help my clients explain that in a way that is empowering. It's so important. Mm-hmm. It takes me back to the, I, I wrote it down. I'm going to like share it on Instagram. When we get off the interview, you said your favorite <laughs> outfit can feel like a superhero cape or a hug. And yeah. I literally just got, so don't laugh you guys, but I literally just bought this sweatshirt at Costco because it's like the one, like the only place I go out anymore is to go to Costco. <laughs> literally every two weeks, Mark and Errol stay home. I run out to Costco and I got this sweatshirt and it's like made out of Sherpa fleece and it's just uh-huh. like so fuzzy and cozy. And I was sitting on the couch wearing it last night and I was like, I'm so happy in my sweatshirt. I just feel like I'm just, it makes me like feel good inside. And I know it's like a 10, I'm terrible. You guys like totally junky fashion from Costco's $10, but you know what? I'll wear this thing to the ground. I guarantee you I'll have in five years. I'll mend it and make sure it lasts. Anyhow, um, you'll probably copy it and make it out and, of something else. Yes. So you can have more than one. <laughs> so I feel bad because this definitely pr- was not made ethically or sustainably, but um, but I'm going to give it a lot of love. Believe me, you. But the point <laughs> is, you go. Well, that's keep- sustainability too, right? Keeping what you have. It's not throwing everything out that's that true. you already have. That's true. We just because it was cheap choices yeah. every single day, and so yeah, making one choice differently makes a difference. Yeah. Not right now. Not, not tomorrow maybe, but it makes a difference down the road. And we have to be thinking long-term about the environment, about our children, about our society. And long-term is not, um, let's do things in a, an exploitative way for this quarter's results. Right. Long-term is making decisions that might be hard for the longevity of a business. Yes. And so... We can do that in our own freelance business too. Yeah, I just I loved what you said there. You about you know you can learn how to make the clothes, or you can teach people how to learn how to make the clothes in a way that's empowering, and then for them to feel really good about the process of the development, and then also that end product. You know, kind of coming full circle back to where we start at the beginning. It's not fashion is not just fashion for fashion's sake or it's not just protective. I mean, yes, it is protective in a lot of ways, but it, I think there's such an emotional component to it, whether it's how the garment makes you feel or whether how making the garment makes you feel and then putting the garment on and then how that makes you feel it's compounding. There's such an emotional and personal component to it that I think really can, we can lose sight of that very easily throughout the process. Um, I think especially when, I shouldn't say especially, but in my experience, when, you know, working for certain size brands, sometimes you just feel like you're just pumping out the clothes and there's no, you don't pay attention to any of those emotional components that the end consumer might have a connection with that can be really, really important. Yeah. Even I can get wrapped up in, 
you know, uh, the, the, <laughs> the finished measurement chart and like trying of to course. make things make sense. And, yeah. but it's also, I put reminders on my monitors and on my big whiteboard in my, um, workspace, our hands come out of our arms, which connect right into our body where our heart is. Mm. Our hands have the power to communicate what we feel in our hearts and literally. And so anything we make with our hands, whether it's on the computer, whether it's hand stitching, whether it's knitting, whether it's food for our family is a, a direct gift from ourselves. And so remembering that, um, helps keep me centered in my my own sense of purpose and my own ability to feel generative generative and generous um I do a meditation when I'm going to hand stitch picturing gold going up and down my fingers so each one is alive and ready to make something meaningful I don't always do that every time I make something, but if I'm going to sit down and hand stitch something, I'm already sitting down. I'm already focused on doing something, even if it's just the last step in hemming something for a private client. I also make custom clothes for people. So um, hemming or sewing on a button by hand instead of by machine, just so that I can have a a true hand in the, in the process. Um, there are ways to do even the most technical thing with heart. And yeah. so I'm always focused on that. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Karen, this has been really, really fun to chat with you and learn not just more about your story and where you've been and what you're working on, but just the heart and soul behind it. I I mean, I can just hear it coming out of your voice. It's amazing. Well, thank you for asking me to be here. I love talking to you. I love learning from you. And I'm <laughs> always recommending your courses to anyone who wants to learn. You're so um, sweet. Oh, I appreciate that. They're effective and they're affordable. And you're generous with your pay what you want pricing during this pandemic. Yeah. This is how we help each other. It really right? is. Giving what we can. Yeah. And encouraging people to take knowledge and experience in their own hands and make something of it. Yeah. I love that. We're all on the same team. We (laughs) are. We are. Team diversity, team sustainability. Yeah, we're all there and we're doing the best we can. We are. And there is so much value in that mindset of generosity and something I've worked really, really hard to get better at. And I'm not perfect, but I'm growing. And I think it's a good lesson to learn, especially in the fashion capital or lowercase f world, is, (laughs) you know, I think generosity can be a challenge in this industry because yeah. of just the mindset that, um, and the culture that exists here. But it's funny cause when you talk to most people, they don't like that culture. They don't like that mindset. They would rather it be right. the other way. So but they don't see a way to participate they don't, yeah. in a different way. And we can, we are, I dare say leading in that way <laughs> by example. Yeah. I hope and so. And generosity doesn't mean giving stuff away for free. No either. Yeah. It means sharing your knowledge. It means sharing your heart. It means participating in things that are meaningful. Yeah. Um, volunteering if you can. Yeah. Donating things you don't need anymore if you can. Yeah. All of those are generous. Um, so working true. for free is exploitative. Yeah. Of yourself. Yeah. So there's a balance there. Um, it takes experience to strike it, and it's a temporary balance. We yeah. are constantly reaching for it. Yeah. Well, it's been so great for you to generously share your Saturday morning with me. Um, <laughs> My pleasure. Your, I know your husband's cooking breakfast in the background. Hopefully it didn't get too cold, but um, <laughs> I really appreciate your time. Um, we will end with the question that I wrap up every interview with, which I think you know is coming, and that is, what is one thing people never ask you about working in the fashion industry that you wish they would? Um. That's funny. Um, it's a funny question because I feel like I get asked just about every question. Um, <laughs> well, then maybe you can share the weirdest one or the, your favorite yeah. one. Well, I'm sorry. I wish I had, uh, I, I should have thought about this ahead of time. Um, I have been asked to make some really interesting 
projects and they might not seem fashion related, like a golf support glove or, um, I guess that's probably the, the weirdest one. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, Heidi. What a, what a, (laughs) what a disappointment I am. No, no you are not. I feel like I'm asked every question I can think of. That's okay. Um, I guess I wish people asked more or were more interested in um, making uh, sewing patterns or garments available to a wider range of bodies. Uh, On the small end, on the large end, on the sensitive uh, to fabrics and on the the range of affordability, I guess. Yeah, that's... um, that's what I wish more people thought about, whether okay. they asked me or not. Yeah, so the broader ex- broader inclusivity amongst the. the so what pad- do you have to lose? Yeah, people all want to buy clothes or make them. Yeah. So, and I guess uh, how maybe a better. I was mentoring a. a middle schooler, um, at the beginning of the year on, um, she had to do a project and she wanted to make garments. And so I guess I wish more people thought about kids being able to do this for themselves. You're never too young to learn how to make your own clothes or to learn what goes into making it. And you're never too young to learn how to make a pattern. As soon as you know what shapes are, Yeah, you can start to discover what shapes do. So whether you make your own little stuffed animals or you make clothes for yourself, kids can start making at a really young age. Um, So I wish more parents were supportive of that and realized that kids can do, that they can start as early as they want in making things. That's really inspiring. I know we have a lot of parent listeners, so I, I imagine some of them will maybe take action on that bit of, guidance and advice and idea right there. I love that. Well, they're free to reach out because I have all kinds of ideas for kids. Yes, and I used books. To teach art for kids too. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. Well, when Errol gets just a little bit older, we've started doing some finger painting in Ziploc bags. So awesome. I, yeah, I put like the cardboard or the cardstock in there and I tape the Ziploc down to the floor. And I squirt the paint in and he moves around his hands, and I let it dry, and I, I write a little card on the back, and I've mailed it to my parents and my in-laws. Yeah. So they've gotten Errol's first little artworks. But I'm excited. I shouldn't say I'm excited. I'm enjoying every stage of, of him. He's almost nine months yeah. right now. But when we can start doing a little more art projects um, yeah. around the corner, maybe when he turns yeah. like one or so. But it's fun. Art with kids yeah. is fun. Yeah, and he's going to lead you in the direction he wants to go, too. It's he fun will. to follow them. Yeah, he will. That'll be awesome. Yeah. Um, well, Karen, on that note, where can people connect with you and find you online? Um, well, my website is karenlepage.me, and um, it's the same for Instagram, though I don't know how much longer I'm going to be on Instagram. We'll see. Yeah, you're um, going to take a little break? I think so, yeah. Okay, good for you. It's time to focus on real life. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> But I love connecting with people, so maybe I'll just be more disciplined about my time, uh, my screen time. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. And uh, and that's about it. That's uh, that's where I am for awesome. now. Um, trying to do things in the real world. And if you're in Seattle or the area and you want to get together and make something, and we're out of a global pandemic, <laughs> please reach out because I want to meet you. I love that. I love that. And one day you and I will meet in real life and go on that sailboat of yours and have coffee. It'll be wonderful. (laughs) It'll be wonderful. Yes. Thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was so nice to get to know you a little better and I appreciate you sharing your story and insights with everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. As always, a big thank you to my husband, Mark, who does all the editing and tech behind the scenes, and my right-hand gal, Tara, who does so much to coordinate and schedule and publish the podcast. Without the two of you, this would be impossible for me to do while also taking care of little baby Errol. Uh, So thank you so much to both of you, as well as each and every one of you listening. 
Um, as a quick reminder, if you enjoyed this podcast, a five-star rating and write up on Apple Podcasts goes so far. So thank you for taking the time to do that. If you have already done that, thank you so much. We really do value each of those reviews. And remember, you can access all of my best free resources to help you get ahead in the fashion industry by heading over to SoHeidi.com slash email. It's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash email. I'm also on Instagram at SoHeidi. I'm pretty active over there. So head on over and say hi, and I would love to connect with you there. As always, you can access any of the resources we mentioned in this episode by scrolling down to check out the show notes. And I will talk to you in the next Successful Fashion Designer Podcast episode.